Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to XYZ, the podcast about CNC automation, robotics, business, and more. My name is Nick Frank, one of the owners and partners of Frank Brothers Guitar Company, and I'm joined by my co-host, Aaron Goff of Goff Custom Knives. What's happening? Oh, you know, same as you, buddy. It's been a busy week, busy day. I actually had my most dreaded day of production today, which is uh, sandblasting day. Oh, I know. You hate sandblasting. Yeah. I have worked out some ways to make it more tolerable. I've, I've worked out that I should point my air conditioner directly at me while I'm doing this. Um, because otherwise you just overheat, like, instantly. You know, at you yourself. Sweaty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. It's like, it just so happens my air conditioner is like within, you know, line of sight of the the air sandblasting station. So I just aim it right at me. And then uh, <laughs> I give myself little rewards. Every time I do a batch of blades, I get a, a Twix or something, you know? Oh, yeah. So how many Twix are you eating? Uh, in a, on, uh... Half a Twix. <laughs> no, one. Oh, that's, yeah. that's it? Yeah. You know, it's better than nothing. Keeps my spirits up. I eat half a Twix for breakfast. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I nearly got production halted today for the stupidest reason. I ran out of disposable gloves. Oh, no, that's the worst. Yeah, like I had some in the shop. And I was using them, and then I realized that, like, so these are um, latex gloves that I picked up when, you know, during this year when gloves have been, like, so hard to get a hold of. Yeah. Um, but the latex gloves had, like, uh, oil or something on them. And so I'd handle all these knives, and then I realized I was, like, leaving marks on them. What do you mean? Like, they were pre-packaged with some oil Just on them? a tiniest bit. Like uh, almost like, you know, finger oil, but I'm, I'm sandblasting blades before they go to DLC and I can't leave any contamination on them. Right. So taking them out of the blasting cabinet, you need to put like perfectly, perfectly clean, gloves, clean gloves, on. gloves on. Yeah. Of course. So I ended up having to like degrease these gloves that I was wearing. I, oh, I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't work out how to do it initially. And then I like, you know, gave them a little hand wash and some isopropyl alcohol. And then, oh, so you put them on your hands and wash your hands yeah. with alcohol. Yeah, exactly. yeah, that's pretty smart. It worked out in the end, but it was just one of those silly things where I was like, oh man, is this really going to like stop me for we, the day? We have a similarly annoying thing where we use these disposable razor blades to scrape the, the color off of the binding. Mm. Um, and Tim likes these sort of stiff, um, razor blades uh that come soaked in oil <laughs> right and you can get like stainless steel ones or ceramic ones that i that i don't think are coated in oil but they're way more expensive and you know go through quite a bit of these mm. um so he's having to degrease them degrease individual razor blades that's Burn. not the worst but it's it's like one of those just annoying tasks well, uh, but yeah, oil I, and finish do not mix. No, hundred percent. Well, like McMaster to the rescue on this one. I I don't know if you guys have one of those razor blade dispensers from McMaster. Mm -hmm. You have one of those? Yeah, I think that's what we most recently bought was a razor blade dispenser. 
I don't know if it's coated in oil. I haven't checked with Tim mm. on that. Okay. Yeah, because I have one of those, and the razor blades that come in it don't have oil on them, as far as I can tell. Okay. Well, so. that's what I bought. I have to, I'll have to double check with, uh, with Tim. Or it was at least in our cart at one point. Fingers crossed. Yeah. How are things with you, bud? Good. I last week was our first pro, like real production week with um, like making parts on the Haas. So How that felt go? really good. It went great. Yeah. <clears throat> Love it. Love the system. So I'm, I've described it before, but we've got a, a um, pallet base mm -hmm. um, with uh, locating pins. It's one of the Saunders each... Machine Works fixture plates underneath. Well, that's right? the fixture plate. The pallet base goes on, is on top of that. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So that's in the, and that's the vacuum mm. pallet. Right. So that's the main vacuum pallet. And then we have three body pallets, individual body pallets that we put on our, you know, we switch between. Right. Um, so it, the system works great. The vacuum's amazing. It's so <laughs> easy to use. It's strong. Right. Uh, it, you could, you just watch these, the parts suck down to it, to the table. Uh, and then between that and like, you know, uh, locating pins, those, those also combat any lateral forces we're putting yeah. on it or tool pressure uh it works great and i ran like twice as many bodies as i would have been able to maybe more than i would have been able to on the axes oh nice just the workflow is so much better right and from what you've told me this is not like the optimized process yet this is like just get it working yes i would say so i mean i think that we can push the feeds and speeds um i had a tool rep in today mm. um to uh, talk about a shell mill or face mill rather. Right. Um, which, you know, I was talking to Mark about this. Like I'm so, uh, all I can think about is, a, is just a face mill for this one op. That's like going to save me four minutes <laughs> uh, per, per side on a guitar body. Right. So like eight minutes total. And it's kind of silly. Cause like there's probably other places we could, you know, optimize that would maybe save more time. But like, I just know this is going to save a lot of time. Great. So I just want to, it's like something I just want to get done. Yeah, that's fair. Why are you talking? Um, why are you talking to a tool rep? Do I have to rep Maritool again here for you? You don't. I, <laughs> I reached out to Maritool. Um, and so they have a shell mill that I would happily buy, but it's, um, it's too big for our, our, uh, side mount tool changer. Oh, well, we would have to, yeah. So it's, a, I thought it would be perfect actually, cause it says two and a half inch diameter, mm. but, um, that's, the cutting diameter, the actual right. diameter is closer, closer to three, but it's over two and a half. And that's, so that means we would have to have an empty tool pocket on either side. Right. Could you just go down one size to like a two inch? Diameter? Well, yes. So he doesn't have that in, um, other than he has one with a one and a quarter shank. Mm. So it's not like a, a traditional shell mill where you've got the shell mill and then you have an, a, 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 a um, a tool holder adapter essentially. Right, right. Um, so I reached out to him about it and he suggested that, but he doesn't have a hold a tool holder that would fit a one and a quarter inch shank. And that's a kind of huge right. shank. Right. So I looked around for something and the reason I called Ken a metal is because when I bought the Haas, I worked out a, they gave me a new machine voucher mm. with Ken a metal right. to get 50% off all tooling. Right. Um, I haven't bought anything from them because it, you know, their prices are more expensive. So 50% off, I'm still paying probably equal to 
um, what I'd be paying with Maritool. Right. I should double check that. <laughs> I kind of just got excited about Mar Maritool. It was easy to order. This is like, you know, traditionally how it works, right? You, I, this morning I sent them an email to Kenametal, and I was mm -hmm. like, hey, I'm interested in this tool. And they had a rep there here in like two hours. Okay, that's pretty good. I, re Two I reps, respect actually. That. Right. I respect um, that. So, yeah, that it was easier than I thought it would be. Okay. Um, and who, but, who's uh, the distributor in, in Canada? Or is it Canametal Direct? It's like Duramil or something. I forget. Hmm, okay. Um, yeah. Anyways, um, so, yeah, that's all to say that, that this can be optimized and, and sped up. And that, right. that is one thing, like the, those ops that I wanted to use the shell mill for, the face mill, mm -hmm. um, are like, they, they're six minutes each. And there's two, it's like an op, basically two op zeros just to, just to surface the, the material. Right. Um, and I ha it's almost not long enough amount of time for me to like go walk away and do something else. Mm -hmm. So I just want it to be like two minutes. Right. In two minutes, I can stand there, I'll prep the next body, flip the part run the next two minute program prep, you know, prep another body, that sort of thing. Yeah. Totally. I'm not going to be spending a lot of time just standing there watching it run. Right. And then, yeah, like the next steps are a little bit like 25 minutes and we could probably shave like five to seven minutes off of those each with different tooling and feeds and speeds, right. but loving working with the Haas machine. It's That's great. awesome, man. Well, so just just having like a poke around while we're, while we're talking, and I'm guessing that you're looking at SEHT end mills. Yeah, uh, in face mills, like, um, yeah, like the insert. Yeah, style. so it's a 45 degree square insert shell mill. Yes, they had suggested another type as well, which was um, a zero degree is was what it was called, like a um, a surfacing mm. um, face mill that's meant to leave like a really good uh, floor finish. Right. And it can take a deeper cut because it's like a 90 degree tool. Right. And you can get them the insert with a like 59 thou corner radius, mm -hmm. which would probably be enough because we're getting some blowout when we exit the edge of the part. Oh, okay. Um, so that's why the 45 really was appealing to us because you're leaving um, a bit of a sort of like uh, a ridge, you know, that 45 degree, imagine what the cut looks right. like in the material. That's going to strengthen that material as you're coming out of the, uh, the side of the, the um, cut mm -hmm. uh, and keep it from blowing out. Right. Yeah. So like the, I think the one that you're talking about with the square is the APKT type. Um, okay. Which I think they have in a two and a half. And yeah, like, it might be it might be an idea to look at some of the other like rectangular types, because um, like yeah. the A A P sorry A P E T rectangular inserts they do have aluminum specific ones. Yes, and they they actually have quite a uh, an aggressive positive rake on them. Like right the like a, the one we're looking at has a twenty four degree positive rake. Right. Yeah. So Maritool have two and three inch, so they don't have your your like perfect in the right. middle, but they do have a square type, which they have in a two and a half inch, and I think that's like the actual largest diameter of the tool, so you'd be able to fit that right. In. So because it's the the cutting diameter is the same as the mm -hmm. largest diameter on a on a like a ninety degree 
shell mill. Yeah. You'd be fine with that. So I, I hadn't thought about this. They suggested this today. Right. I haven't even been back to look at Mary Tool's website. Uh, I feel the need to defend myself. <laughs> so I will well, I say, again. this is like the one time that I might recommend another company. And I'm not a huge fan of this company because most of their stuff's made in China. But there's a company called Shars that you're likely Shars, heard yeah. of. Shars, yeah. Yeah, I've heard of them. And they have a two-inch diameter APKT um, indexable face mill with an integral Cat 40 shank. So right. it's all in one piece, which is like super nice, I think, for the, for that kind of an application. And I saw that, yeah. I believe, or something like that. It made me wonder, though. I was like, do I really want it in, in, in like integral? Yeah, I mean, if you were buying like an ex really expensive integral shank, then I think it would be a bad idea because like if you damage the one of the insert pockets, then you've like hosed the whole thing. But like for the price of these guys, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll be curious. I'll be really curious to see what you come up with. You have to send me some photos of what you come up with so I can post yeah. it on our uh, Instagram oh, account. Well, I have some videos I was, I've been meaning to post on, on the uh, XYZ. Oh, sweet. You've got some Haas videos, I guess. Haas videos. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Okay, man. Yeah, like send send them to me and I'll I'll uh, post them up for the okay, next episode. Okay, we'll do. Oh, you gave me the login. Yeah, yeah. But like I can, if you want me to edit them or, or oh. whatever, you can just send them to me. You might want to, yeah. It's just like <laughs> me heavy breathing in the background. Right. That'll be awesome. I'll look forward to seeing them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I'll, I'm going to try to get more. I was like doing something else and I kept like looking back and I was like, oh, I missed that cool tool change. That was a sick tool change. And then we, right. we really dialed in like the, the drilling op. Mm. Um, like it's pecking. And then it started squeak because it was squeaking before. And then it started squeaking again. Hmm. And I don't know. It might just be material related. Like this might have just been squeakier mahogany. Hopefully the guitar <laughs> doesn't sound squeaky. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, with, uh, so... whenever I hear something like that, I always wait to, for the like the next cycle. You know, if I hear it squeak for like two cycles in a row, then I'm like, oh, okay. You know. That's not good. <laughs> mm -hmm. But like just one cycle, yeah, as you said, sometimes you get a bit of material that's a bit weird or you just get a weird resonance or something, you know? Yeah. Um, well, at first it was happening in Karina, which is like a mahogany-like wood. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, it must just be the Karina. And then I did it to the next mahogany body. So I was oh. like, well. Maybe it is um, a tool issue. Could could be a tool issue. Yeah. Uh, or how, you know, the, the, the pecking or something. Mm-hmm. Like, well, yeah, speaking of tools and of Maritool, I got a very exciting package today, or last night, which I then had uh -huh. to open today. I got my uh, Cat 40 hydraulic tool holders. Oh, you did pull yes, the trigger on this. I did. Sick. Um, and they are everything I could have hoped for and more. They are, like, it's just going to be such a quality of life improvement <laughs> for me more than anything yeah. else. Because, so, like, my workflow with let's say like an end mill holder, which I've been using previously, um, the the depth stop, uh, sorry, like the stop screw in, actually, I don't think the end mill holders had a, a stop screw. So, you know, it's pretty, it's it's not too bad with an end mill holder. Like loosen off the screw, put the new one in, you know, measure that it, the stick out is right and then really crank it down, you know. <laughs> um, but like measuring the stick out is kind of annoying, like go back and forth between like my bench and the, tool fixture and then the chance you're going to bump it blah 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 and then 
you know, the end mill holders themselves aren't necessarily ideal for holding these tools, right? Because like I've been getting some galling at the mouth of the end mill holder recently. Once I've been like kind of driving right. them a bit harder, um, and then with an e if I switch over to an ER collet holder, it's bad. Like the ER collet just gets full of shit. Um, <laughs> you know, like all of the the stuff from the hard milling operations, those tiny little hard chips get blown up inside. Mm -hmm. um, so we talked about last episode. I actually three D printed some like little kind of washes that yeah. like you know friction fit onto the shank of the tool and then press them up against the face um one of so i made two of those and put them on two tools one of them the fit must have been a little bit loose and it like worked its way <laughs> off and then got blown <laughs> blown into the cut and that nice. was that was the end of that um didn't hurt anything obviously because it's just plastic but the washer didn't survive and the other one worked <laughs> great like no okay. chips at all in the collet um so yeah if you're gonna use er collets and like for you guys you know like tons of wood getting in your collets oh it'd be great yeah it's a really nice option um <laughs> however one of my tool holders clearly had something happen so this is the first time i've ever had this happen some sort of debris must have been in the nut while i was assembling it and this is in an er collet in an uh, er collet holder tool yeah. holder yeah and um, so I, I pulled the ER collets out of the machine today to swap them with a hydraulics. And I went to loosen one of them off and it loosened a bit and then it kind of like squeaked and then it jammed. And I was like, oh, okay, mm. what, what is going on here? Um, it took me about 45 minutes to get it apart. Holy shit. Yeah. And in the end, I had to like fill it with like bow shield, like WD-40 kind of stuff yeah. um, and get some like, I got like a two and a half foot wrench on it you know, to get it off. And I mean, oh this God. holder is hosed at this point. Wow. Um, I had sheared off uh, the first and like parts of the first and second threads on the tool holder. Which Putting then it on. I guess so. Yeah. There must've been some sort of debris that like, like you cross threaded it. I don't think so. Don't that would be really so. hard to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's such a coarse thread, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Something had gotten in there and, you know, obviously done some damage when I tightened it up and then, when I went to loosen it off, more damage. Um, oh, so scary. yeah, I toasted a tool holder for the first time ever. God damn. Um, and I don't think that's something you're going to have an issue with, with like wood debris really, but like, you know, right. You got a bit chips. of hard steel. Yeah. 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 Um, damn. so these hydraulic tool holders, so they have a stop screw in them, which, so you can screw it on the, like way down inside the body of the end mill holder of the hydraulic holder, there's this screw that you can, you know, move in or out to set mm -hmm. as the depth stop for your, that's really handy. So nice. So now I can set these up once and I never have to think about it again. I just drop an end mill in until it hits the stop and I'm good. Cause I'm always using the same tools in these holders. Right. Yeah. Um, I bought the coolant sealed, uh, reducing sleeves. Uh -huh. so, so I asked Frank, like, you know, is there a reduction in holding force with the, the sealed sleeves? And he said, no. So, of course I'm going to get them because now there's like literally no way for chips to get inside the tool holder. Everything's sealed. Um, so like in terms of changing tools, you just like loosen off the, the set screw that um, kind of actuates the hydraulic system. You just, you know, have a, a T handled hex wrench, pull out the old end mill, drop the new one in, make sure it's bottomed out, tighten it up. And that's it. Like, wow. I could literally do it in the machine without <laughs> pulling the holders out. I want them. Yeah, really, really nice experience so far. I, I gave Frank a little bit of feedback, which I think this the stop screw could be longer. 
Um, right. Cause like right now my tools are only like two inches overall and I'm only hanging out uh, 0.625 inches. Um, which means that to, to get that, the set, the stop screw in the right position, there's only like a couple of threads engaged right. with the tool hold the body. And how, how, like, is there any risk of those getting loosened? Potentially, um, because there's not much force like pinning the stop screw in place. So stump um, a little thread lock in there. That's exactly what I'm going to do. I've got some, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got some purple thread lock, which is like the ultra light oh, adjustable yeah. thread locker. Um, I'm going to buy a couple of a longer. So right now the st- set screw is um, 15 millimeters long. I've got a couple of 25 mil um, stop screws, like set screws in my cart at McMaster, some purple thread locker. Nice. Yeah. Done. Okay. So you just buy a longer screw. You, the, yeah. you know what th- thread or pitch it is. Or yeah. Whatever it's it M8 by one. I mean, you know, okay. like, so, yeah. That's it's like literally like a $1 fix, but you know, I just said yeah. the, the one nice thing is that the, the set screws that they supply are drilled through the middle. So you can do coolant through. Well, I guess that's not imperative for you. <laughs> no, not for but. me, but you know, for other customers, it might be. So if they supplied a, a longer screw, like you've got a ton of room inside the shank of the tool holder body to screw the screw in more, um, you okay. know, if it's too long. But if it's too short, there's nothing to be done about it, right? That was so. my one thought is like, it must be a kind of a balancing act because they want to make it, um, you know. Yeah, I mean, they probably Versatile. Got- Right, but they've probably got like two inches under the pull stud that you could right. like screw the the screw into. So, yeah, but like overall, as I said, like the quality of life improvement, really, really nice. Mm. Um, one you're thing, changing your tools enough that that would be. Yeah, I'm changing tools every time saver two even. days. You know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, big time saver, and and more than that, like I know that I'm like slowly trashing my ER collets. Right. You know, because every time. So like now that I have the washers on there, it's not such a big deal. But in the past, you know, it's really hard to get all of the the hard chips out. And so when you undo the nut, you're always kind of like grinding up your collet and your nut and potentially mm. the tool holder taper a little bit, right? So I, like I'm just slowly trashing these tool holders. Um, whereas this way, you know, there's no chips in there. There's no like, you know, heavy duty kind of grinding force or anything going on. You just like, slip fit tighten it up done you know so yeah i'm i'm excited wonderful yeah the only just the only thing that i'm sad about is that you know they say that you know i've heard from a lot of places that hydraulic holders are supposed to have the best damping capabilities and that's something i was really hoping for Uh um but i think when people say that what they mean is that they have it's very very stiff so it couples the tool holder and the tool into the spindle casting really well. You know, you've got if you've got a really nice, well damped spindle casting, then the hydraulic holder is going to be really nicely damped. Um, and I think that's exactly what's happening because on the second operation for the Resolute, I'm milling like contour milling the bevel, and it's quite thin, and sometimes resonance can build up in the bevel. And it's actually worse now <laughs> than it oh, was really? with the ER collets. Yeah. So it's like because it's so well coupled, it's actually transferring those vibrations maybe more effectively. Yeah, exactly. You'd think um, that would dampen it, but maybe it's 
Well, Fidals aren't really well known for their damping ability. Oh, okay. So, um, it, actually, on on that note, I've been thinking for the longest time that it would be really nice to fill the base of my machines with polymer concrete in order mm-hmm. to add a lot of damping. So I actually drilled into the base of um, my VMC 10 the other day, you know, just to kind of have a look in there. It turns out it already has concrete in the base. Oh. But what they did was cast a block of concrete and then slide it into the base and then weld it shut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so they didn't like pour it in. Yeah, but that means there's airspace all around that block. You know, oh, just so a little it's bit. Probably, it could be vibrating itself. 100%. You know, so it's it's not terribly well coupled in there, right? <laughs> so I think what I'm going to do is get um, the ca- same casting epoxy that I use for doing my handle scales. And I'm just going to drill a hole in the top and pour that base, you know, fill up all of that airspace with casting epoxy. Yeah. Um, oh, I'd be so curious to see what that does. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I you have to be a bit careful doing this kind of stuff. You have to pick an epoxy that has, like, no shrinkage. Right. And no expansion. Because some expand, some shrink, some are, like, neutral. Mm-hmm. You know, because if I have one that shrinks, it could distort the whole base. Ooh. Oh, it, right? that would be brutal. Yeah. Because it would just, like... Uh, implode <laughs> yeah and it, it doesn't have to be because it's acting over such a large surface area you know if it's just a tiny little bit of force with that contraction it could potentially create a large force acting over that that area so i think it'll be fine but um that's why you would use like a really slow curing no expansion no contraction mm-hmm. casting epoxy as opposed to like anything else you know right um but that's a well, good thing that you thought about that yeah, I mean, and that's why they didn't cast the concrete in there to begin with, because concrete oh. shrinks when it's curing, hmm. right? So you'd just be just distorting the, the base. But like a, a polymer concrete, is that what you called it? Yeah. So, Wouldn't do that? No. Is that a more modern? Um, so there are polymer-modified concretes, which is like, you know, a traditional concrete with some like plastic additives. But a polymer concrete is basically epoxy and aggregate. So like mm-hmm. epoxy and sand. That's a polymer concrete. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, if you use the right kind of epoxy, then you know, no, no shrinkage at all. Okay. Um, no Sweet. One, no one so... likes shrinkage, Nick. <laughs> Not going to touch on that subject. <laughs> but yeah, I think yeah. that would like couple that concrete block into the the base much better. You know, you want all of that mass like coupled with like a slightly elastic interface, so right. that it's all of that vibration is causing the the elastic interface to expand and contract, you know, get compressed and stretched, which turns the vibration into heat and damps it. Oh, okay. Damps it cool. Out. It's soaking all that energy up. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's deadening. Yeah. We have, so we talked about this. Um, we had that question about our uh, jointer planer mm-hmm. combo. And one of my big issues with that machine was it was completely made out of uh, sheet metal. Oh, yeah, yeah. Except for the the tables. The tables were cast. Right. So this thing just like, it It kind of was like an old washing machine. <laughs> you know, I'm being dramatic, but you like, take like, off. <laughs> you know, there was nothing to soak up that energy of this like huge moving drum, the cutter head. Right. But um, what we replaced it with was ca- old cast iron tools. Right. And they are just, they don't have feet. So they just are concrete, or sorry, are um, cast iron 
right onto concrete. Right. And they, they don't like you, you don't even feel it. in right. if you were to touch the machine, you don't even feel the vibrations when it's running. Cool. Except for yeah. one of them, which is because of that design, like not having feet, mm-hmm. if it's sitting on an uneven floor. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> it's a different story. Did you end up shimming that machine up or something? It's the table saw and yeah, that's all we had to do. It's not as not as critical. I guess, yeah. It's not as like big a a tool as like the jointer. Right. Or the planer was. Yeah, so one thing I'm gonna do in the next little while is actually my Fidal VMC fifteen has a definite vibration in the spindle. And I think it's just because the spindle pulley is imbalanced. Um, and also because I think the the spindle belt kind of flaps. Okay. Um, so it basically, the tighter you do the spindle belt up, it's like a timing belt. The tighter you do, like the more tension you put on it, the louder it is, like mm. to a catastrophic degree. Like if you, you know, push on the motor by hand, you know, kind of lean on it to tension it up as tight as you can and then tighten everything down. It's like 100 decibels. Like Really? brutally loud yeah because the explanation behind that basically every time a tooth on the belt starts to engage with the you know the kind of the valley in between the teeth on the pulleys it's squeezing air out of that gap so it becomes like an air raid siren like it screams they are so Hmm. loud so by loosening the tension off a little bit um the the teeth on the the um on the belt kind of float on that air instead of being able to force it all the way out. So by really loosening it off so that it's like, you know, it'll like move quite a lot under your, under your fingers. It just floats on that air cushion and becomes like okay, a lot quieter. I was wondering about how a loose belt like that is going to actually turn a pulley. Yeah. It's just because of the teeth, you know, like, right. but in that situation you can get more wear and you can get the belt, kind of flapping around yeah so there's a bunch of stuff that you can do to potentially reduce the the noise um so you can use multiple uh narrower belts um and they have an easier time squeezing the air out and less air to displace so they're quieter um but in my case like the belt that's on this machine is a 25 millimeter wide carbon fiber um like gt timing timing belt like that thing can transfer like 30 horsepower you know wow but like i'm only taking cuts that are like sub one horsepower (laughs) right so what i'm gonna do is i already have uh, a replacement belt i just have a much narrower belt it's the same sort of carbon fiber belt but it's much narrower um you know i don't need to transfer 30 30 horsepower right so you won't lose any uh power i mean no. what i, I can't I, it surprises me that that's even a consideration in order to like break the belt i guess or like that that's going to make it a, that big a, uh have that big an effect right well, i mean we'll see like i haven't done it yet so we'll see um there are other things you can do like cut relief um like a slot in the uh crown of each tooth on the belt to give the air a um like an escape channel okay but then you start potentially like 
causing more wear on the pulleys, that kind of stuff, you know. So narrower belt's going to be the first thing. And then after that's done, I'm going to individually balance the motor and the spindle pulleys. Um, it, it turns out you can dynamically balance a pulley with your phone. With your phone? Yeah. So your smartphone has an accelerometer in it, which is used to detect <laughs> the orientation of the phone. Um, but they're accurate enough and fast enough to detect vibrations. And so you can just download like a vibration app and then you, you put like a trial weight. So you, you add a little bit of weight, you know, at one point on the pulley and then you add the same weight, 120 degrees, you know, in rotation on the pulley. And then again, and then you can get an app that like takes in the, the readings from those three tests and just tells you exactly how much weight to add at what, degrees rotation to like cancel out the vibration that's wild yeah so yeah i'm gonna do that because you know like every like if the spindle's vibrating it's obviously kind of like bounce it has to move to vibrate right and it's gonna right. be bouncing the cutter in and out of the cut and like changing or destroying oh, sure. your surface finish you know it's gonna yeah. be worse so and it's gonna be like killing your tool life and a whole bunch of stuff so this is something i've been meaning to do for a while so i'm going to be doing that shortly hopefully uh well i hope it makes a huge difference that Me sounds too. like a problem yeah it's just you know noise vibration like my machine vibrates enough at high rpm that i can like feel it in my feet when i'm walking right and what is your like your max rpm Ten thousand on that uh 7500 7500 it's a grease pack spindle though right yes that's correct okay um what do you like what's the fastest you're really running Oh, uh, 7,500. Okay. Yeah, when I'm, when I'm doing uh, my finishing toolpaths for 3D contouring, because you're taking such a tiny chip load, um, you have an effect called chip thinning, which means that your effective chip load is even smaller. So you can actually like push the spindle RPM like way up above what it would be if you were taking like a large cut. Right. So, sorry, what is chip thinning? So, chip thinning, basically, if you're taking a shallow step over, then what it means is that you're only taking, like, the thin portion of the cut that you would if you were taking, like... Um, like, as you enter the cut, that's the thinnest part of it. Yeah, basically. So, if if you were thinking, like, a traditional kind of toolpath where you're... You know, each time you step over, you're taking like half of the diameter of the tool. Then when when it starts uh, creating the chip, the thickness of the chip at that point is going to be, you know, five thousandths or two thousandths or whatever. But if you are only stepping over, you know, ten thousandths of an inch, then that chip that, you know, for the same speeds and feeds, that chip is like half a thousandth of an inch. Like okay. it, it becomes drastically smaller. Um, and that means that you are spending, you know, 90% of the time the teeth are, are getting cooled down in air rather than being heated up by the cut. Right. So, which is good. yeah, which is great. But that means you can run a higher RPM and okay. not be worrying about, you know, overheating the tool or anything. Gotcha. Yeah. So when you're finishing, you like, you know, hardened steel when you're roughing, like your um, surface feet, like the amount of, uh, cutting you can do is relatively low but as soon as you're taking really small chip loads like the finishing you can you know like the machines that are designed for 
doing like um, mold and die work in hardened steel, like some of them have like 20,000 RPM spindles. Yeah. Um, you know, like your machine that you have, you know, the spindle in that is what, 15K, right? Mm-hmm. And most people would be using that for like finishing hardened steel with like tiny ball nose. And right. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, like realistically, I could do with a lot more spindle speed than I have. Um, and funnily, I can actually retrofit that. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So you've replaced the spindle before. Yes. And on my VMC 10, the spindle is actually rated for 12,000 RPM. Oh, um, so what would it take to actually push it to that? Uh, basically, I would change the motor pulley and the spindle pulley um, to um, toothed pulleys. And I would just change the diameter on the motor pulley to be smaller mm-hmm. um, so that I would get 10,000 RPM at the spindle rather than 7.5. And then you can literally just change a parameter in the control to say, oh, you have a 10,000 RPM spindle now, and <laughs> it'll just work. Oh, man. So are you... This isn't the machine that you're planning to do the um, belt retrofit on, though. Um, I could do it on that machine as well. Okay. Uh, I, so one thing is that that one has, I believe it has the original spindle. Um, and I'm not so, 100% sure whether that spindle is rated for 10,000 RPM or not. Gotcha. Um, but my understanding is that in the original Fidal spindles, the only difference between the 7,500 RPM spindles and the 10,000 RPM spindles was the amount of preload that they put in the bearings. Okay, and what does that uh, mean? <laughs> so basically, you have uh, two bearings, uh, angular contact bearings, in the nose of the spindle that are facing in opposite directions. Mm-hmm. And then they have um, a shim in between them to kind of create uh, a preload. And then they have a nut inside that's that's um, fastened down onto the bearings. And the amount of pressure on that nut determines how much force there is on those bearings at rest. Oh. If that makes sense. Well, and, yeah, I can picture it. Yeah. And then as, they, as the bearings heat up, the preload increases. Um, so as it kind of gets up to operating temperature, it actually generates a little bit more preload because of the thermal expansion of the spindle. Um, so if you were to take a, seven, a spindle that's set up for 7,500 RPM and run it at 10K, then you'll end up with too much um, force on those bearings and they'll heat up and then you generate more force and then they heat up more and then it eats itself. Right. Um, so by lightening the preload just a little bit, you end up with the correct amount of preload at 10,000 RPM when it's generating more heat, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I don't really understand why it needs preload. (laughs) Oh, okay. So if it, if it didn't have preload, then the bearings would actually jump around. Like they would have space to move around. Okay. So you're just compressing them into, uh, you're just, yeah, you're you're compressing them a little bit, elastically deforming the uh, bearing balls just a little bit, and the the kind of the spindle a little bit to make that the spindle itself and the bearings act like a little bit of a spring okay. to keep them always pushed together, so right. that there's no way to for them to jump around. Um, and the more preload your spindle bearings have, the the stiffer that whole assembly becomes. And the more it's able to deal with cutting forces. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So like the really high end spindles, you know, they have really big bearings with large amounts of preload. 
Um, but of course that produces heat. So then you have to have like, uh, in some spindles, they actually have coolant channels cut underneath the outside race of the bearing. Um, so when they, when they, uh, like friction fit the, the spindles, sorry, the bearings into the spindle, it actually creates like a, a watertight seal. And then they pass coolant constantly around like the actual faces of the bearing in order to keep the heat out. Is this what a spindle chiller is? Yeah, that's like where the coolant from a spindle chiller would go. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and basically, like, the closer you have the coolant to the bearings, the better, obviously. But, like, <laughs> you know, it becomes more and more unsafe to have the coolant that close unless you have, like, really tight tolerances. So that's why, you know, the spindle in, like, a Makino F5, if you were to replace it, would probably be, like, 40 grand. Right. You know, whereas the spindle in a Fidal is four grand. <laughs> um, oh, does a Makino F5 have a spindle chiller? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And they have like a HSK spindle and, you know, like, uh, I think some of them have HSK spindles. I'm not sure if they all do. But yeah, very, and, you know, it's rated at like 20,000 RPM or whatever. Like it, it just, as, as the bearings increase in size, they get more expensive. And then as they increase in sp- in size and RPM rating, the cost goes up exponentially. Like it's it's pretty crazy. Like the, the just the bearings, the angular contact bearings that go in the nose of a Fidal spindle are about two grand a set. Just for the bearings. Just for the bearings. Oh my god. Yeah, and it, when you're looking at like a really high end machine tool, like um, John Grimsmo has a Kern um, five axis machine. This crazy thing. And if I remember correctly, the spindle in that is rated for 50,000 RPM. Holy smokes. So the bearings what is in that, it? What's the actual spindle um, uh, speed? Uh, like 50K. Oh, so it's it actually is doing 50K. It's not yeah. just overrated. Yeah. Holy shit. And the spindle in the thing is, is insane because it's an integral motor spindle, which means that the motor is actually built into the spindle housing itself. Okay, is it's, it like direct drive? Yes. Geared? That, uh, no, so direct drive and integral motor are different things. Direct drive means that the motor is separate, but it's it's directly like coupled with a, a coupler to the, the spindle. Um, integral motor means that the motor, like the three-phase motor that drives the spindle, is actually inside the spindle housing. Gotcha. Yeah, it's right in there. And then that is chilled. Like there's a water cooling system built into all of that as well. Um, and then it's a, you know, 50,000 RPM spindle. <laughs> um, that rules. Yeah. So like you're talking about bearings that are like, you know, five, six inches in diameter that are rated for 50,000 RPM. So they'll be like ceramic ball bearings, potentially ceramic races, Um so that's like the outer ring of the bearing. Uh, you know, those bearings by themselves could be like 20 grand. Oh my you God. You know, like. I did just Google spindle bearing. And um, like, if you go to, if you do that mm-hmm. um, and go to shopping, <laughs> <laughs> you can find one for like $15,000 right away. Yeah. Yeah. And because they have different classes of accuracy as well. So like, once you get up to like uh, P7 or ABEX7, that means that all of the balls are like the exact same size to within, you know, a tenth of a micron or something. Um, I don't know what the actual rating is, so I'm just talking at my ass here, but it gets really, really close because 
they're what they're trying to do is make the the inner race and the outer race and then the balls themselves that that circulate in between as close to as perfect as possible in size mm-hmm. because that means that you don't have any um like concentric error you know the inner race isn't like rotating out of its axis if that makes sense yeah and then because it's not rotating out of its axis you can just drive the the speed ratings up and up and up um yeah it's spindles in themselves are a whole nutty science of precision you know it's pretty crazy yeah it's wicked i mean i'm i'm I've looked at this before, but just looking at a cross section of a spindle, mm-hmm. it's kind of mind blowing. I mean, it's simple. Yes. Yeah. Simple, but the precision involved is a little boggling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of Makino, they have a machine that is made for machining graphite. Mm-hmm. And I was checking that out. I was like, this would probably be great for wood. <laughs> probably. Yeah. It's got like a dust collector built in. Yes. Well, not built in, but. Um, like plumbed into the machine yes. from the factory. Right? Yeah, yeah. And it's right there. Like sits next to it, kind of like a spindle chiller. Like, yeah. And on those machines, they do all sorts of crazy stuff, like uh, positive pr- air pressure inside the way covers yeah. and like seals on everything that, yeah. Mark and I were talking about doing something like that. If we put uh bellows on mm-hmm. this machine, putting like plumbing air to them and create and putting pros- positive pressure in there. Yeah, because it wouldn't have to be much. Like you wouldn't right. have to use compressed air from your air compressor. Just a few it could psi. Be, yeah, rotary vane or like um, a centrifugal blower, or you know, sure. Yeah, but I mean, just leaking a little bit of air into those from the uh, mm-hmm. air compressor wouldn't be such a big deal either. Yeah, you just—it's kind of crazy how expensive compressed air from like a real air compressor can be. Yeah, it's so funny because one of uh, the guys that works here was like mentioned he was like well air is free or something like that and i was like it's not no and then everyone looked at me like i was an insane person (laughs) yeah like i i mean i don't have the numbers to back this up but i've heard multiple times people saying that compressed air is the most expensive form of energy in your shop (laughs) yeah i mean i when the guy came to to deliver our machine like the sales guy Mm -hmm. he mentioned that um he has a compressor at the airport that is god knows how many uh horsepower right or cfm uh but the bill for it was like 20 grand a month just in energy Mm -hmm. uh that just the hydro bill yeah right yes yeah and you know like in really big manufacturing plants there are people that are like you know like the maintenance guys that where their whole job might be like chasing down leaks you know because a pinhole leak in that system might cost them you know a grand a month or something mm-hmm. like yeah it's it's pretty crazy um yeah well anyways i was like i saw these graphite machines and i was like now i want a makino <laughs> they are um very very cool machines very yeah. very cool speaking of uh really fancy machines um space space no no you, you preempted my segue oh, there sorry uh there is a machinery show coming up called cmts oh is um, it is it happening uh, I don't know. I'll have to double check. But if it is happening, you and I should go. 100%. Yeah. Maybe we should do an episode from the show. <laughs> Whoa. Um, right. I recently signed up like a few months ago mm-hmm. to be notified of uh, like I wanted I wanted a pass. 
right to be notified when I could get a pass because at the time they they weren't saying whether it was on or not. But right. wicked. Yes, if it is happening, we should absolutely go because it is a lot of fun. And last time I went, which I guess was three years ago now, there was a Makino F5 on the floor running um, parts, like cutting hard steel. And it's just super cool to, you know, talk to the applications engineers that are there and the sales reps and just like to see one of these machines in person. Had you been dreaming of that machine before or was that what sparked your love and interest in the Makino F5? I'd been machining. I'd been uh, dreaming of it before. Okay. Yeah, like so I like to the booth. To it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it says October fourth to seventh, twenty twenty one. Sweet. Yes. Well, we should go. We're gonna have a little crew of people. Um, one of my friends is making a manufacturing based video game. Oh. Um, and like uh, like a Sims, but for <laughs> manufacturing. <laughs> I can't, yeah, you know what, I can't okay. talk about it too much because it's his thing, but it, I've, I've been playing it and kind of helping him with it a bit, and it is awesome. Uh, I have to, like, keep myself away from it, otherwise I'm going to burn myself out. <laughs> um, but he's going to be, like, in my shop over the next little while, like, you know, uh, working in a manufacturing space because he's mainly a, a software developer. He doesn't have experience in that. But I, I really want to take him to CMTS as well. I think he awesome. love that. Yeah. Well, yeah, Mark's definitely going to want to come as well. And mm-hmm. prob- Tim, Tim will want to come for sure too. Well, if anyone's uh, listening to this and wants to meet up with us at CMTS, hell yeah. CMTS gang. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, as you said before, space. <laughs> That so, wasn't the smoothest uh, segue, but there know, is a it. lot of stuff happening right now with SpaceX. It's super exciting. So they are on a huge push to get um, Starship happening and to get Star Base, which is in Boca Chica, Texas, where they're building all of this stuff, um, you know, more aggressively happening. So they actually, Elon, like, told, like, 200 SpaceX employees, like, okay, all you guys are coming to Boca Chica to help push Starbase to the next level. And so they had, they have like a tiny fleet of jets that they use to like, you know, move stuff around, move people around. And they were just like dropping people off in Boca Chica. And apparently like every hotel nearby Boca Chica is like fully booked out with SpaceX employees at the moment. Um, <laughs> that, but like, that must be a fun place to belly up at the uh, hotel mm-hmm. bar. Seriously. Um, but yeah, overnight, like literally between Sunday and Monday, I think it was this week, they fitted 29 Raptor engines to um, Starship Super Heavy number four, their fourth prototype. Crazy. And it is like at the at the launch pad now, sitting there with 29 engines attached. All to right. It. When are they firing this bad boy up? Um, so they think that they're going to be ready like next week. However... The FAA is currently in the middle of doing an environmental impact assessment for Starbase. So that may delay things a month or more. Um, What would be the, like any objection they would have? Just like, hey, you guys are burning a lot of fuel. (laughs) I think it's mainly around noise. Because like the noise, the noise that comes off a rocket engine is so powerful that the launch pads themselves actually have to make a lot of concessions to noise. So like, I don't know if you've ever seen a rocket launch where they're spraying like tons of water at the, 
at the rocket engines. Yeah, yeah. I, have, I didn't know it was water, but I've seen them misting something at it while, like, while it's yeah. firing up, right? Yeah, and yeah. It, it, when you say misting, it looks like misting from a distance, but it's actually like multiple fire hoses. Oh, like really? It's, it's a ton of water. And that's and for noise. It's for noise abatement. Yeah, because the reflections of the noise coming off the rockets can be so intense that it actually poses a danger to the rocket itself. Okay, so like what the just the like the, the sound waves of you right. know that that huge flame that that explosion basically that's happening can reflect off of the concrete of the launch stand or you know whatever and bounce back and potentially be focused or you know if if things go wrong and uh, disrupt the the burn of the engine and you know cause an issue in the engine itself or you know set up a resonance in the, the engine bell right there could be like a sympathetic sympathetic note that it yeah. triggers in some part where and it can like literally destroy stuff oh man yeah How'd they figured that out uh the hard way <laughs> that's what i'm guessing yeah um so yeah i think that that's one of the biggest issues um so spacex they are with traditional rockets, a lot of the fuels that they use are really, really toxic. Um, so in uh, the steering thrusters, for instance, in a lot of rockets, they use what's called a hypergolic fuel, where it mixes, you know, two elements mixed together, and then they instantly explode, catch fire. Like, there's no need to, like, add cool. to ignite them or whatever. Very cool. um, yeah, but, you know, so one of the primary uh, fuels that they use for that is called hydrazine. And that shit is like you wear like a full chemical suit and contained oxygen to like work with that stuff. It's like super, super toxic. Sounds like a scary job. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. So like one of the reasons like when, uh, you know, a capsule from a space uh, mission splashes down in the ocean and then they retrieve it, you know, they actually keep the astronauts in there while they like decontaminate the outside of the um, capsule and vent any remaining um, fuel and stuff from the thrusters because oh. it's hydrazine because it's extremely toxic. Wow. Um, so you but, can't just like crack the door open and hop out. No, like go for a swim. No. Uh, yeah. You'll just get poisoned. Um, but the, one of the really cool things about Starship is that it doesn't use any of those fuels. Um, it uses, even in its reaction control thrusters, which are the little tiny thrusters on the side of the rocket to kind of steer it, they actually use uh, liquid methane and liquid oxygen, the same as the, the big rockets at the bottom. Um, so I don't think that it's really going to be like a chemical issue that the FAA are looking for. I think it's it's going to be like, you know, you know, what damage are you doing to like local environment through sound or through construction or... So this is probably like a pretty standard thing that they're they're checking for maybe who knows i mean this is such a new thing like um starship super heavy has like twice the power of any rocket engine previously of any like rocket first stage previously made as i understand it so like who knows you know like i don't know what kind of impact that's gonna have um but fingers crossed fingers crossed and that and that being said SpaceX have ignored the FAA in the past. They've been like, you know, slapped on the wrist and fined in the past because the FAA were like, you were not clear to launch. And then Elon was like, send it anyway. No way. Yeah. Um, 
that happened with one of the previous uh, Starship test launches. So they, they, you know, the FAA said you are not cleared to launch, and SpaceX said we don't care. <laughs> We're going. What anyway. if he like? That seems like a big gamble. Like they could revoke his license or something like that. Hundred percent. You know, and I think if it came to that, they would basically be leveraging the fact that they are a super important defense contractor <laughs> um, to be like you know, pushing back. So yeah, we'll who see. else is going to do what he's doing? I mean, you got Bezos firing his lunar <laughs> rockets. And... Yeah. So an interesting thing happened with Blue Origin, which is Jeff Bezos's company, which is they had a protest in with the um, accountability commissions at this department of the US government, because they were salty that they hadn't been picked to be a part of the new moon landing project that's happening. Mm -hmm. And that protest got smacked down which <laughs> is um fantastic because that would have been a real hurdle for nasa um they would have suddenly had to come up with a lot more money in order to have two programs running simultaneously uh how embarrassing for bezos right what a sore loser <laughs> yes yeah seriously so they have a they have like a group effort called the national team and they actually published a letter after this decision saying like we will do the first $2 billion worth of work for free. And that still makes them more expensive than SpaceX's bid. <laughs> That's um, awesome. And they have no proven flight hardware. Like they have no um, mission ready flight or even, you know, like test level flight hardware. Um, whereas SpaceX's bid was for Starship. Right. Which they are currently... Flying. Right. Yeah, they're testing, you know, so like they are way closer to like actual mission hardware than Blue Origin is and they're cheaper. So it's like and well, and their their ability to deliver payload to the moon was like way larger. They're able to take way more for less. So gotta give them credit. Yeah, it's it, it would have been very, very sad if their protest had resulted in NASA having to use them as a second contractor. Uh, well, forget yeah. about them. Forget about them. And I just, I thought it was really interesting. I actually looked up some of the numbers today um, in terms of like engine cost and stuff, right? So like SpaceX, uh, sorry, the Starship has a bunch of engines on it. It's going to have the final versions they believe are going to have 32 Raptor engines. And are on... they just zip tying these things together? Like I, I just... <laughs> Like when you say thirty-two engines, to me it seems like it was just like last time it was twenty-nine. Let's throw another three engines on there. You'd think that would right. make it like a huge engineering. Challenge. It is a huge it's engineering challenge. Yeah, to but I like, mean, let's throw some more rockets on there. Right, and one of the reasons that they're they're decided to go with like the many rockets thing is that there's a lot of redundancy. You know, like the mission will still work if like two rockets, two engines fail. Okay. You know, whereas if you've only got like five engines, maybe you can't even have one fail. Right. So there's that built-in redundancy. Yeah. And then they're building like a production line for these engines. They've actually started, they have four and a half thousand acres of leased property in McGregor, Texas, um, that they are using to build facilities on to build engines. Oh. And they're currently at the point where they're building an engine every two days. They've built their hundredth Raptor engine now. Um, and they are aiming to get to between two and four engines a day out of their facilities. Man, this would just be like such a cool shop to visit. 
Can right? we call it a shop? <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. But and so there, um, right now, it costs about a million dollars per engine, uh, which is actually very cheap in c- c- contrast to the competition. So yeah, seems not that expensive. Yeah, Blue Origins engine, the BE4, which is what um, the SLS system is launching on, what ULA is buying. They are about, there's no published numbers, but they say it's about 30% cheaper than the only other previous option, which was buying engines from Russia. <laughs> really? Yeah. Is so like before what NASA was doing? Before SpaceX and Blue Origin came along, NASA was buying engines from Russia from every launch, for every launch. They were buying RD-180 engines from Russia at a cost of $9.5 million each. Wow. Um, yeah. This is for like the... Um... Uh, the space, like the challenge. No, not the challenge. No, That's a bad example. No. Um, so, like the engines that went on the space shuttle, space uh, shuttle, they were made in the USA. Okay. But then after the space shuttle program shut down, the only real launch capability the US had was the Saturn V rocket. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's you know what you think of as a rocket is the Saturn V. It's like you know a bunch of pointy things all on top of each other, and each one has like five or six engines. And those engines were actually RD one eighties because. Previously, they used U.S.-made rocket engines, but they just like lost the capability to make engines for a while there, um, or at least at a competitive cost, I guess. So they were mm. buying RD-180s from Russia for like $9.5 million each. Wow. Um, so now Blue Origin has won that contract instead. So Blue Origin is making BE-4 rockets for that same kind of purpose, which are now getting used by ULA, the United Launch Alliance. Okay, so they got is, their contract. Yeah, but those engines are about $7 million each. And there's been massive delays with those engines, which is a big part of the reason why um, ULA, which is kind of the the competing, the big competition to SpaceX right now, at least, that's why their programs have been delayed. Like part of the reason why their programs have been delayed is because those engines were delayed. Um, And how many of those do they need? uh, I'm not sure of the exact numbers, but I think it's like five or six something like that okay but for contrast spacex are targeting two hundred and fifty thousand dollars an engine oh man so for the price of one be4 they're going to be able to make 27 raptor engines right which is almost enough to outfit an entire starship starship yeah Yeah. which is crazy so and uh, that's for the raptor 2 which is like the next uh iteration of the the current engine and they're saying that's going to be like, you know, maybe a year until that's like in full swing production and replaces the Raptor, I think. Um, but These guys are efficient. Yeah, it's mind boggling how fast they're moving, man. Like they are just getting shit done. It's cool. Yeah, super, super cool. And so we talked a little bit about the, uh, this a couple of weeks ago. And I said that, oh, you know, maybe Elon's targeting, you know, 20 or 30 spaceships, uh, you know, starships in in operation Mm -hmm. i was way off i thought that was like pretty high i was way off elon is saying he wants a fleet of a thousand starships in operation good lord what's he gonna do with them all run a cargo route from earth to mars like what's constantly the the mars base that he wants to build (laughs) i don't i don't see the economic uh like i don't see how how you can make money doing that but that's the really interesting thing about Elon. I think that's one of the reasons why it's been like SpaceX has been as aggressive and as successful as they have been. He doesn't give a shit about the money. It's not right. about the money. 
like his his one of his stated goals is to make uh, humans an interplanetary species. Mm-hmm. You know, he says that it's like too dangerous having all of our eggs in one basket. So he wants like a self sufficient colony on Mars, and the only way you can get to that point is to like dump an endless amount of hardware and people on Mars. Right. Well, I mean, I guess he's got the the funds to do it. Yeah, which is... you just hate to see if it was like you know. He builds like this fancy colony on Mars and then it's just like never used. <laughs> uh, well, I don't think that's going to be the case, man. Like, I, I don't know, man. You know, like, yeah, it's it's a bit, honestly, a bit terrifying to me in some ways. Like, imagine if you had like only people on Mars that are like working at the pace of SpaceX. Right. Like, there you get a lot done they get a lot done you know so i don't know in the long term that could be like a more viable culture than earth <laughs> It'd be a bit terrifying um, who knows who knows well i think i'll stay i think i'll stay here but i'll walk you to the the line i would go yeah i i i don't know i think it'd be a very interesting challenge i'm not sure that i'm like mentally cut out for that level of stress though to be honest right like uh you'd need to be working 24 7 if you're up there well yes so you'd be working 24 7 in a incredibly hostile environment Mm -hmm. like you're talking like one thing goes wrong in your like in the mechanical systems that are surrounding you at all times and keeping you alive and it kills you right (laughs) like what a way to go though yeah sure Blasted out onto the surface of Mars, (laughs) exploding like Arnold Schwarzenegger at the end of uh, Total Recall. You could be the first corpse on Mars. There you go. Amazing. (laughs) Honestly, I'd take it. Yeah, I mean, you'd be be a historical achievement. 100%. So, yeah, like right now, you know, like shit is really moving in in the, the SpaceX land. So it's super, super exciting time. Great time to be a space nerd. 100 like this it's like the late 60s all over again <laughs> yeah and like if you want if anyone listening to this or if you nick if you if anyone wants more space news than you know what i'm relaying to you then there's a bunch of great channels like everyday astronaut um nasa space flight uh space eccentric um and marcus house there's a ton of great youtube channels that cover this stuff in like way more detail nice any good podcasts uh apart from ours um no <laughs> space I, related podcast i'm pretty sure the everyday astronaut uh has a podcast i think um i don't listen to that many podcasts so oh. i don't know i'm more of a youtube guy than a podcast right guy. what do you do when you're like you know just sandblasting uh i watch tv shows really actually yeah so i uh, like I, i've been watching like a teen soap on netflix called never have i ever which teen is just soap yeah it's you know it's like teenagers being teenagers it's it's lighthearted and fun and uh yeah i just like demolished that in like a week like two huh. seasons of that in a week how do you pay attention how do you focus on oh well i watch things that you don't have to focus on okay so just garbage yeah basically gotcha like um have you ever seen um oh uh stargate the tv show i have not 
So there's a TV show. Anyone that hasn't seen it should watch it for at least a minute just to see that it's terrible and nostalgic. Um, I think it's from like late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, and you know they they make a, a wormhole that can take them to other planets, and then they have like a military team going through and exploring all of the hostile oh, aliens. That are that out a there. movie? Yes, it was a movie, and then it got spun off into a TV show with um, MacGyver as the main character. Hell yeah, yeah! I remember it not being a good movie. The I think the TV show is better than the movie because okay. the characters grow on you over time. <laughs> but there's like nine seasons of that shit, and oh, I yeah. watched every single season of that while sandblasting. Wow! You should put up. You should have a live stream video of you sandblasting. <laughs> oh god! Oh no! That would like uh, See give people, people instant depression. <laughs> yeah. People tune in. Um, well, I am actually committing to the next batch of sandblasting that I do be the last batch that I okay you're serious about this yes yes it is going to be automated after i'm giving myself one more batch and then it has to be automated that's great yeah it's great when you can do something about those awful tasks Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we had a task like that i was like hand sanding relief into necks before putting fretboards on and it was i just dreaded it yes and uh now it's automated I'm yeah, happy. I never even have to think about that again. Yeah, and you know what? Hand sanding blades is like um, laborious and a bit, you know, mind numbing as well. But I can like sit on a comfortable seat and like watch a TV show or listen to a podcast or music or whatever, and and just do it. Mm-hmm. Sandblasting, I'm standing in an uncomfortable position for hours on end, wearing a respirator. Um. Oh, it's, you know, it's it, you have to wear a respirator. Like, I probably don't have to, but um, if something was to go wrong while I was like changing, like had the sandblasting cabinet open, and you get a face full of high pressure sand, Oof. that's it. Like, you're never seeing it again. Really? You know? So yeah, and like you know, if there was a dust leak or something through my dust yeah. collector, then you're just breathing a bunch of really fine aluminum oxide dust. No, like, yeah, that shit's not great. So I. I'm careful. Good for you. That's good. Yeah. And but it when means I spend sand- a day wearing a respirator. When your sandblasting robot becomes sentient and hates mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Because it finds the, the task mind-numbing and turns yes. on you. Well, then I'll die with a grin on my face. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, it's time that I use more of my skill set to build robots to make my life easier. So... Yeah. I'm throwing down the gauntlet. If if you guys uh, a month from now hear that I am sandblasting or a month and a half, because I normally do like one batch of sandblasting a month. You know, well, a month and me. a half from now, yeah, shame, shame away. Okay, deal. Yeah. I'm putting it in my calendar. Mm-hmm. Shame, Aaron. I won't remember why, but I'll. So you'll <laughs> yeah. you'll have a fully operational sandblasting cabinet, and I'll still shame you. Oh, perfect. So yeah, we're we're going to be away uh, next week um, because I am taking a little bit of time off. So we're going to take a break for a week in the podcast, but then we will be back after that with, um, yeah, maybe maybe SpaceX will have ignored the FAA and done a test launch anyway, <laughs> and we'll be able to talk about that. Cool. Yeah. So it's an exciting time. Go look at space stuff. Go uh, machine some stuff, Nick. I will. Amazing yeah. That you got your house up and running. I'll post a video. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. We'll look look forward to seeing a video soon. 
and we will talk to everyone again soon. Two weeks. Alrighty. We'll miss you. Goodbye, everyone. Have a great week. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.